Well, good morning. Have a good week? Yeah, we've been blessed, haven't we? Today, we continue our sermon series on better together, right? And so I picked this video because today we're going to talk about serving together. And I think it's really important that we get the right attitude about serving. Amen? I mean, uh, when you saw this, I'm sure that you were thinking, man, what's up with that? What kind of attitude is that? Sometimes we can get an attitude when we're serving, can't we? Come on now. Amen? Yeah, we have to keep it in perspective. So I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. If I were to ask you today, what is the meaning of, why are you here on this planet? What is the meaning of our lives? Why were you put here? I'm going to pause just a second. I want you to write down on your note there. What, why, why are you here on this planet? Why do you think you're here? Contrary to what we believe, uh, many of us believe, or many people believe, God didn't put us here to just take up space, to breathe and have fun and die. God put you and I here to make a difference in this world. Amen? And the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that. You know, we will worship him throughout eternity. The Bible teaches that as well. And this is kind of a practice run. How cool is that? How do we serve God? We serve God by serving others. Every time you help somebody else, you are ministering to that person. I want to read a scripture to you today. My passage of scripture is out of Philippians. It's chapter 2, and I'm reading out of the God's Word version. Here's what it says, and it's talking about serving together. So then as Christians, do you have any encouragement? Do you have any comfort from love? Do you have any spiritual relationships? Do you have any sympathy and compassion? Then fill me with joy by having the same attitude and the same love. Here's a key word, key words, living in harmony. Here's another one, keeping one purpose in mind. Don't act out of selfish ambition or be conceited. Instead, humbly think of others as being better than ourselves. Don't be concerned only about your own interests, but also be concerned about the interests of others. Here it is, have the same attitude that Christ had. And it goes on, to, and Paul talks about having the form of a man, but I took on the form of man, but he died for mankind. Pray with me as we start this. Father God, thank you, Lord, for your blessings, for your word. I pray, God, today that as we, as we look at these passages of Scripture, as we go through this, that you would speak to us, Lord, and that we would recognize that we truly are better together, and serving together is the plan that you have for us. And so, God, give us the grace to carry that out. May everything that we say and do in this message Bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You know, a lot of times you can take a passage of Scripture and you can just about prove anything, right? I mean, we've seen that in the world. So I wanted to take a little time and talk about the backdrop of the book of Philippians first. Philippians is named after a city. It was a city called Philippi. We have a map here, I believe. And it shows you where Philippi is up there in the very center. You see Macedonia? That was kind of a seaport town, Philippi there, and, and it was a lot of, of, of commerce was happening there. Paul went through there on one of his missionary trips, and this is one of the first churches that he planted. And it's an interesting story how it all started. If you want to read about it, you can look in the book of Acts chapter 16, um, and it tells about this trip that he made. While he was there, he got thrown in jail. Remember that story in Paul and Silas? And also there was a lady there named Lydia. And he uh, went to the temple and he started sharing the gospel. And Lydia became a follower of Christ. 
It says that she was a, a person that, uh, that was a, uh, she made um, fabric, purple fabric. And she became a Christ follower, and she invited these guys to come over, and, and they all started church in her home. How cool is that, right? And this church started there, and it began to explode. And so this letter, the Philippians, was written to the church at Philippi, the people there. And he's sending this letter to them to instruct them. Now, this was a really, really good church. Uh, He didn't have a whole lot of issues with these guys like he did some of the others that we read in the New Testament. There's a lot of scriptures, a lot of passages, uh, books in the Bible like Corinthians, Galatians. All of those were places and locations that Paul visited and he would send these letters to instruct them. But Philippians was kind of a great place because they were kind of following what he had set up. They didn't get too derailed. It's a beautiful thing here. Beautiful thing. They say this is the letter of joy. It's kind of like you would write it from a friend to a friend. Like if I wrote David a letter, it's kind of written in that tone. He's not just blistering a trail. He's talking to him. He even encourages them. And he tells them, he said, he said, you know, appreciate your benevolence. They were a church that was giving even. Jesus, Paul is writing to these as brothers and sisters. He recognized the importance, though, of serving together. A lot of Paul's letters were like that. He was writing these churches to instruct them to follow up with the institution of the church as they had started. There were methods and principles that worked in the New Testament that we see. And, and when you study theology, I remember in college we would, we would talk about certain things that they did in the Bible. And they'd say, this is a universal principle. This applies from now till the end of eternity. There are other things that you see in there that were maybe just for that specific period. Does that make sense to you? What, it was like a cultural thing or a custom thing that went on. But there were universal principles. And those universal principles that we find in the Bible are true today because they were true then. Amen? And they're from God. Serving together, serving together, sometimes it can get difficult, can't it? Especially when you're working with somebody like that we just saw up here a while ago. And sometimes when we're serving, I hate to say this, but, you know, we, get, we can get an attitude if we don't keep it in the right perspective. Amen? I've done that myself. And, I, and so today, what I want to talk to you about a little bit is about how do we keep positive? How do we, how do we encourage each other instead of, instead of getting off of the rails and getting an attitude sometimes like this? Because I don't want to be like that. Do you? I want us to serve together. And as we look at this book, this chapter, we see some, some points here. You know, in the book of Corinthians, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, Paul said, We are God's co-workers, and we are God's field, uh, field and we are God's building. We need each other to serve. Remember I've talked about that? And, and, and I want to tell you, this, ser- this series is going to go on for a couple more weeks. I promise you. We've got another one coming. Somebody asked me the other day, said, you've been preaching on that same thing? I said, I know. But you know what? I started here, and I wanted to start with a good foundation. And there's no better foundation than starting with Jesus and all of us together. Pulling the same direction. We've got to have a good foundation. And serving together and being better together, getting that in our minds, getting that in our hearts, I think is, is a really critical foundation for each one of us. Because we can get more done, as we saw in Romans 12, and over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how it takes each one of us. But how did they do this with these principles? What principles did they use? Did they just guess at it? This church in Philippi, did they just guess and, 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 and succeed? You know, you can know how to do something, but if you don't seek God's will and seek God's guidance on it, it can cause some problems. I'm reminded of a story I heard. I got a story for you about a preacher that had learned all there was to know about preaching. And he was on an airplane, and the motor, the engines went out. And somebody said, hey, aren't you a preacher? 
And they were thinking, you know, since he's a preacher, he'll probably pray because the plane's going down. And they said, aren't you a preacher? Do something. He said, well, okay, let's take up an offering. <laughs> Could have been worse. It a committee, right? You see, we should seek God's will. Even though we know what God's uh, teachings are and the principles, we should seek God's will in what we're doing. It'll make a huge difference because I've done things that were the wrong things because they were what I wanted, not what God wanted for me. We know what to do as the Lord leads us. We must follow what the Lord teaches us and leads us to do, and the Bible is given to us for that reason. You know, I've yet, in all the years that I've followed the Lord, I've yet to sit down with this book and not be encouraged when I, put, when I finish. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I can always find hope in this. And I want to tell you today, if you're going through something and you're hurting, the Bible is the place to turn to be encouraged. I want to encourage you to read the Word. You say, well, I don't understand it. Well, listen, there's so many variations. Surely you can find one that you can understand. And if you can't, Call me. I'll help you find one, okay? I, uh, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I, I shared with you, there's one out called The Story, and it's written in a story form. And I gave it to a friend of mine who, who he, he, he's got ADD worse than I do. He said, I can't even stay focused long enough. And I gave him this, this story Bible, and he started reading. He called me. He said, man, I about read a, about half of it already in about two months. So I encourage you to read the Bible. It will encourage us. And we seek God's will, and we find his will through the Scriptures. We find these principles that Paul was talking about, serving together. It's not easy to do. It wasn't easy for them to do. We see examples of that. In the book of Corinthians, the, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul had these people in that church that were following individuals. I'm so glad that doesn't happen today that people get preacher religion and follow a preacher instead of Jesus. Amen. It's a joke. It does happen, doesn't it? We have to be careful. These people in Corinthians, in Corinth, in that church, were fighting over who they were following. And the guy's name was Apollos and Paul. And here's what he says. When some of you say, I follow Paul, and others say, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting like sinful humans? Who who is Apollos? They are servants who helped you come to faith. Each did what the Lord gave them to do. The one who plants and the one who waters have the same goal. And each will receive his reward for his own work. And then he goes down in verse 9 and he says, And we are God's co-workers, you are God's field. What happened here? What happened here? They took their eyes off of Jesus. And I think as pastors and as preachers, we have to warn ourselves and our churches and our people to keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, you know, we're looking for a worship pastor. Get ready to. We're forming the committees. I'm going to make an announcement at the end of the service, so hang on. It's going to be good. But I want to tell you today, I've been here eight years, and the next person that comes in here will not be Kent Holland, but he will be or she will be who God brings to us. And we need to follow whoever that person is and forget about Kent Holland and the way that he led it. Amen. Because you know what? God's got somebody. He's raising somebody up. Somebody said, well, we're going to miss you. I said, listen, when I first got here, listen to this. When I first got here, believe it or not, there were some people in this church that didn't like me either. Might be one or two. Still don't, Brother Ken. Just like these guys, just like that was happening in 1 Corinthians, 
People got off the track. They started following individuals. It's a scary thing as a pastor, as a worship pastor. And I've shared this with some of the guys that I've worked with over the last couple years. And here's what I've said to them. You know how you can tell if you've been successful in ministry? It's when you can step away from it and it'll keep going. Because you know what happened? People weren't following you. They were following Jesus. Come on. Now, I know I had, I've had people in my life that I've loved. And man, when they stepped down, it was like, oh, I really loved him. I love to hear him preach or I love to hear him sing. But God raised another person up. And he will do that here. He will do that here. So these folks were following human beings. They'd taken their eyes off of Jesus. You know, how many of you have ever been on a team? Okay, well... I was always the last one to get picked when they were doing the team thing. You're shocked, aren't you? But I was in a choir, and that was kind of a team thing, right, Sandy? And, you know, it's a kind of a cool thing to be in a team. Uh, we've done some mission trips around here. And you remember how it made you guys feel when you're a part of a team and you see something accomplished? I've really enjoyed watching the Olympics over the last couple of weeks, even though I don't even know what some of them are doing. I really enjoy watching the discipline and the practice and everything they've, they've gone through. But as a team, we noticed that people are walking together. The relays that I watched the other night and all the different things that they were doing, it takes like a machine. Everybody has to do their part. It's in harmony. And the Bible teaches us to walk in harmony as Christians. When I think about the concept of, of a team, I think about the church when it's hitting on all cylinders the way it's supposed to be. Music teams. Seniors here in the church, we have teams. Transitions has teams. Mission trips are one of the coolest teams I've ever been a part of. When you go to a place and, and you don't know anybody, but yet you're all depending on each other to pull their weight, and you go in there and you see people drawn to Jesus, not because of you, but because you have a team. It's a cool thing. Same way with the church, amen? When we're working the same direction and people are drawn to Jesus, they're attracted because it's, it's contagious, it's infectious, the, the joy that Jesus gives us in our lives. The Bible talks about working together as our goal. You know, it amazes me in churches sometimes when people get hurt, and I've seen it, you've seen it, we've all seen it, and they just throw their hands up and quit. And I've, I've often thought about that. You know, we, we get hurt in all kinds of other things, don't we? Don't we? We get hurt. There's things that happen in our lives that are negative, but we don't quit. Why in the world would we quit church? The thing that God instituted for us to do. See, this letter that we read, they were fussing with each other, but they finally realized that it takes all of them, and that they were just a part, a link in the chain, if you will. And so the book of Philippians, we see the same kind of a goal that they were doing, but they were doing it right. And here's some of the things that I want to talk to you about. There's, there's a pattern in the book of Philippians. There's principles, if you will, that speaks to the keynotes of being victorious in the joy of serving each other. And here's what it says, and, and I'm going to give you five, five of them here. It says to rejoice in chapter 1, verse 4, in prayer. It says to rejoice in the gospel. It says to rejoice in fellowship. It says to rejoice in sacrifice. It says to rejoice in the Lord. And it says to rejoice in loving, in the loving care of the church. Those are five themes that we see in this book of Philippians that they were doing that was a little different you know, we can't go wrong when we start anything with prayer, can we? 
You ever take off and go to do something and then you realize, oh, I forgot to pray. You know, I told you I ride a motorcycle and whenever we go on trips, I always, in the mornings, and I'm not telling you this to be pious or righteous or whatever because I actually even try to get out of the way where people can't see us. But when there's a group of us, we gather together and we pray on our motorcycles before we take a trip to safe travels. And uh, we were doing that one day and we were in a big circle and we were praying and, and I felt like somebody was like over here, you know what I mean? And when we got done, turns out there was a whole group of other motorcyclists over there wanting to get in our circle. And they were from Taylor Mill. And we were in uh, Mount Rushmore. It was really cool. And we wound up praying together as we went along. But we should always start with prayer. And that's what they did in the book of Philippians. They prayed. And they prayed for God's will to be done in their lives and for this church. I heard a story about a woman who believed in prayer. And she bought a plaque and hung it over her mantle. And it said this, prayer changes things. We've all heard that. Prayer changes things. A few days later, she walked into that room, and that plaque was missing. She couldn't find that plaque anywhere. She went to her husband, and she said, Hey, have you seen that plaque that I had up on the mantle about prayer? And he said, Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. She said, Well, what happened to it? He said, I took it down. She said, Why'd you take it down? Don't you believe in prayer? He said, You know, honestly, I do, but it just so happens that I don't like change, so I threw it away. You see, prayer does change things. And when we start with prayer, it'll change things. Namely, it'll change our hearts a lot of times in the way that we're approaching something. We should always start with prayer. It's what they did in this book that we see, and it's one of those universal principles. If we start with prayer, we've taken whatever it is before the Lord and opened ourselves to hear from him, knowing that he cares deeply and that he hears you. Isn't that a great thought to know that God hears you? I can't get over that. The fact that you stop to pray and the creator of the universe bends his ear to hear everything that's going on in your life and he cares. Isn't that good? It may seem like nobody else in the world cares. Sometimes it does. But God cares for you today. He loves you. And we should begin everything that we do with prayer. And then listen for a response. You know, with God in our hearts to be ready and to be God-centered and not self-centered when we pray, it's a good place to start, isn't it? Because I'm going to tell you something. There have been things in my life that, that, uh, that man, I, you know, I pray, but I'm like, okay, God, I want you, to, but I've already got a plan here, you know, that kind of thing. That's not the right attitude, is it? We pray for God to lead us, to show us. A lot of you guys know I'm looking or I'm trying to get situated on a housing thing. I brought this up last week. And uh, somebody asked me this morning, how's the, house, how's the house thing going? And I told you last week, I'll tell you how it's going. It's going really slow. I had two daughters that got married, moved out of my house, and I'm telling you what, if I've packed one pair of girls' shoes, I've packed 200. They left every pair of shoes in that closet I've ever seen. It's been a mess. Uh, and I called them the other day. I said, you guys want these shoes? You guys just walked out of here and left all this stuff. But here's what I'm telling you about the house thing. It will happen in God's time. And that's when I want it to happen. I want the house that God wants me to have, not the one that I want. Well, you know, I mean, I struggle with that. I ain't going to lie to you. I'd like to have one have five-car garage I can put all my motorcycles in, but, you know, I'm just being honest. 
But sometimes you have to step back and pray, God, what is your will? And I believe that he'll answer that. And I believe you will know. We will know what his will is. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. And this is the one I really have to struggle with, but it's sometimes wait. Wait. Next we see this, this church rejoices in the gospel message. Chapter 1, verse 18 says, When we realize the extent to which God has gone to, to be in a relationship with us, it's pretty overwhelming. Now you think about this. Think about what God did for you. Now I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you, not saying, well, you're the preacher, you know, blah. Think about what God did for you. You, today, here, Jesus died on a cross. God sent him, his only son, to make us right, to forgive us, and to pay the debt for our sins. Wow. That's good news. That's the gospel. The Philippians got this. They rejoiced in that. They shared the message. I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, that's pretty overwhelming when you think about what God did for us. It's good news that we can repent, we turn, and God says, come to me. Come to me. I want you to come to me. Come just as you are. Come the mess that you are. Come on. I've sent my son. I've showed you what it's supposed to be like. Come to me. Really? Isn't that a beautiful thing? They rejoiced in that. And when we get it in perspective, when we get it in our hearts and we see how God really loves us, we can rejoice in the gospel. And you want to share it. You want to share it. Are we perfect as Christians? Far from it, right? But we're being transformed by God's power and the renewing of our minds. I noticed after I gave my heart to the Lord, the things that I used to do, and even today, even now, things I do that that are part of my whatever personality, the Holy Spirit will speak to me, convict my heart, and I know, and that's turn, and he stands there ready. I forgive you. Come on. Come on. It's the greatest story of all time. A moment in history when God broke into history and sent his son. If you had an arrow and you started here and you ran like this and it's pointing and it's still going and so you got the beginning and you go this way with the arrow and it goes on indefinitely, somewhere like right about here, history was interrupted and there was a cross. Never been anything like it before. Never been anything like it since. God's son died for us. The gospel message and they rejoiced. The Philippian church was working together as they spread the gospel. I like to work together better than I do pulling in different directions, don't you? They met frequently, and you know what else they did? They opened the scriptures together, and they shared what they had. That's the church. That's the church. Why do we come here? We come here to share. We come here to study the word. We come here to pray together. The other thing that they did was they rejoiced in fellowship. 
You ever walk into a church and you could just feel the cloud? Into a church and feel the cloud? My dad had a quartet. We used to go out and sing in churches all over. I used to say the U.S. and Kentucky. I mean, we went everywhere, you know. And we'd go down in eastern Kentucky. I told you that was a story one time. We was down there in the mountains, and we, we didn't know where we were. Got down there in, the, I mean, you know, Appalachia, which is where part of my family's from. And we went in and set up in this church, and people were looking at us like, who are you guys? You know, and uh, so they said something about, well, what are you all doing here? I said, well, we're here to sing for you. We're, we're from the group from Cincinnati, and we're supposed to sing here at your church. And uh, they said, what church are you supposed to be at? And we said, such and such Baptist church. And they said, they leaned down, pointed through the window and said, well, this is the Methodist church. The Baptist church is over in that holler. <laughs> A little cloud in that church that day when we walked in because we were in the wrong church. But sometimes you go into places and you can just feel it, can't you? You can cut it. And that's not the way we're supposed to be as, as church people, as Christians. We have those moments and seasons in our lives. But when we're in true fellowship together, we get it resolved. The Bible teaches us how to do that as well. Understanding and sharing another person's experiences. I'll tell you, man, in the last six weeks as the pastor of this church, I shared a couple things in a message just kind of lightly mentioned some things, you know, talked about things in my life. And I've had two or three people come to me and say, like, were you talking to me? And I was like, no. One of them, I didn't even know who he was. I've never met him before. And as a result of that, our friendship has developed. And a spiritual journey has began. Guys, that's why we're here. That's what this place is for. That's what church is. We fellowship together. We carry each other's burdens. We share our experiences. You've got an experience. You've got something in your life that somebody else probably needs to hear, to be encouraged, to know that there's hope because you found that hope. Amen? Absolutely. You've had it in your lives, right? And when we experience life together, it bonds us. It bonds us together. When we go through the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the weddings, the funerals, the births, children, those kinds of things, they bond us together. And we're about community. And we are better together. Yeah, we're better together. It is worth it. It is worth it. You know, something that comes out of these experiences that we have together, there's some elements that happen, and one of those is trust. Trust. You know, you earn somebody's trust by being consistent. You earn somebody's trust by being close. You earn somebody's trust by being confidential. And hopefully you find that with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we all need each other. The list goes on with the Philippian church, guys. You know what else they rejoiced in? Here comes a big one. This was like sacrifice. What we saw in that video, that was not sacrifice. That was more about being kind of like, what would be the word? I want to say pharisaical, kind of religious. It was about being seen. What are our motives In chapter 2, verse 14 through 18, it says, Do everything without complaining or arguing. 
When you will, then you will be blameless and innocent, and you will be God's children without faults among people who are crooked and corrupt. Did you catch that? I'm going to go back just a second. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Ooh, that kind of makes my neck hurt right there. You know what I mean? I'm glad Diane's not in here right now. She'd be quoting this to me about 3 o'clock this afternoon. Without faults, it says, you will be God's children without faults among people who are crooked and corrupt. You will shine like stars among them in the world as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I can brag on the day of Christ that my effort was not wasted and my work produced results. Paul's writing this. He says my, that my life is being poured out as a part of a sacrifice and a service that I offer to God. For your faith, he says, yet I am filled with joy. And I share that joy with all of you for the same reason you also should be filled with joy and share the joy with me. Man, there's so much in that right there. I mean, that's a lot. We got a guy in a prison chained to another person who starts singing at midnight. The doors rock. The jailer gets saved. Lydia got saved at, in the city. He's being persecuted. He's in a Roman prison as he's writing this. And he's praising God. What is up with that? And he's saying, don't complain. And we get a little jacked up when somebody sits in our pew, right? I mean, you know. Or maybe the sound system doesn't run just exactly like I want it to. But by sacrificing to serve, we shine as stars. So kind of sounds like that serving has a lot to do with attitude, doesn't it? Huh? A lot to do with our attitudes. Because we can do things, but if we do it with the wrong attitude, how's that work? Let's put it in perspective. When was the last time I prayed, God, how can I best serve this church? <laughs> Don't, <laughs> that's good, Sandy. <laughs> you know, God. I'm so proud of her. She hates it when I do this, but, well, but it's an example. I want to tell you a story. When I came here to interview for my first, when I first came on the job, <laughs> they took me in a room downstairs. I walked in with my guitar. I told the story. I, I can't remember. I think I shared some of it. The first person I met was Laura Cannon and Steve Cannon, and, and uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, meeting with them, and then we had a rehearsal. But I came back for a meeting, and I think I've sold some of this to you all, shared some of it. Uh, we have a gentleman that goes to the second service. His, his name is Bob Hickman, and he served as a choir director for 50 years at the Florence Baptist Church. Wonderful man. I love him. I tell him, I walk by him every once in a while, and I say, I just look at you and go, it can be done. And he laughs. But he was in this meeting. Sandy was in this meeting. And we go in, and I had my guitar, and I walked in, and I sat down. And, and, uh, and so they're talking to me about all the different types of music. And, and they said, uh, so how do you feel about choirs? And I said, I don't do choirs. <laughs> I didn't know I had her sitting there who was the choir director here. And then I had the other gentleman who had been serving choirs for 50 years. How to win friends and influence people right there, my friend. Way to go, Kent. Get her off to a good start. But the fact of the matter was, God had a plan for me and her to serve together. Because, see, that's what she does. 
I have a degree in music, and I actually wrote a thing in college, directed the whole deal. That was part of my my program to, to get my degree. But it wasn't my forte. That's not what I do, I feel, effectively. But she does. And so she, the praise thing was kind of, you know, and, and, and so, and again, I'm not, but this is for a testimony, okay? So don't call me this afternoon. <laughs> don't call me this afternoon. But I tell you, and I tell you from the bottom of my heart, because she wasn't all that on board when we first started. But today you saw what she was doing. And she's prayed this prayer. God, how can I best serve this church? That's why she chuckled out loud. And there are others of you in this congregation, in this sanctuary today, that are doing the same thing. God's taking you and stretching you like a rubber band, isn't he? Yeah. How can I best serve the church? That's what they were doing in Philippians, in Philippi. That's what he's talking about. Not how can I serve myself. Not what do I like best. Not what are my preferences. God, what is your preference and how can I best serve you? Now here's something that's interesting. This word serve, it occurs 58 times in the New Testament. Must be kind of important. The word servant appears 57 times in the New Testament. You know, a part of serving, and this is a hard on, 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 on me, is listening, listening for God to lead us. You know, and he speaks to us through various channels, doesn't he? Through various things, people, circumstances, things in our lives happen. Have we got James? Do you have that passage of Scripture? Because I want to read this. James 1.19, listen to this. When we talk about speaking and listening, he says, James, he says, remember this, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and should not get angry easily. How can I best serve my church? Sometimes God speaks to us through people. Sometimes he speaks through messages. Sometimes he speaks through songs. The main thing is when he speaks, we listen. We have to slow down and listen. We have to be open to learning new ideas. Sometimes it's things that we don't like. Sometimes it's things that go against our grain. It's a new idea. Can you imagine living in a place that it hadn't rained for many, many years, and God comes to you and says, build a boat? That's a new idea. And think about this. He started building that boat, and I was reading this past, it's somewhere between 50 to 100 years it took to build that boat. I'm 58 or 57, whatever it is. You guys always laugh at me because I don't know how old I am. But anyway, he built on that boat for over 50 years. That's the entire span of my life, right? And I'm thinking about this. You reckon there were days he got up and thought, man, I don't know if it's ever going to rain or not. You think? And Abraham, God spoke to him. The Bible says, and by faith, he followed him. And you know what? God's speaking to you today. Slow down. I would encourage you to slow down and listen. Knowing that we all have ideas and we work together. And I've had people come to me when I was in music, when I've done a, been involved with other churches, and they give me an idea, and I'm like, walk away going, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then I pray about it, and I think about it, and it's like, you know what? That might work. It might work. God has a place and a job for each one of us. 
We all have different personalities. I moved into a new office. And if you get a chance, I'd love for you to come down and see it, man. I'm really proud of it. There's a lady in this church that just, everything she touches is like gold. I mean, she can just make it look good. And so I asked her to, if she would take the stuff I had and try to make a design out of it or design my office. And I left on a Thursday, and I came back in on Sunday, and it was done. And it was amazing. And I've had people come, hey, I want to see this office, man. It look, I heard it looks so cool. We all have gifts, right? Some of us are fun-loving, enjoyable people, and that's what we do, humor. Others are peacemakers. But we all have gifts. I want to encourage you to use those gifts today. Use those things that God has given you. You'll find satisfaction in that. You really will. And then the last thing here is that uh, Paul tells them that he, he loves the way that they rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 3.1 says, Now, brothers and sisters, be joyful in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you, and it's for your safety. He goes on to talk about the people that would come into that church and come into that city and try to sway them. You see, Satan is not happy with what we do as Christians. And I know it's the 21st century, and I know that people try to explain that thing away, but I'm going to tell you something. If you don't think Satan's not alive and well, you need to turn the TV on or look in a newspaper. The Bible says he's seeking to destroy and devour. That's why it's so important that we stick together and that we seek his word. We need to rejoice in the Lord and celebrate our victories. Not for vain glory, but to celebrate God and what he's doing. There's people that will twist the gospel and try to hurt us. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Just a reminder, 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you, as a good manager, must use the gifts that God has given you to serve others. It's through our differences of gifts that we really make a difference. It really is, if you think about it. It's through the differences that we have that we can really accomplish what it is. And it's in those differences that we have to work together and work together. As we go forward, I want to remind you that we are better together. And there's probably going to be some things that I'm going to do that you may not like. Be patient. Pray for me. Pray for your brothers and sisters as we go forward, as we serve together, because we have a purpose. And I can promise you this, our purpose is to serve God and bring glory to God in this place. That's our purpose. It's possible to serve together. The principles that we just read, they work. We just have to work them. Rejoice in prayer. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in fellowship. Rejoice in the sacrifices. Rejoice in the Lord. And rejoice in loving care of this church and the church. We are better together by serving together. Pray with me. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, how it speaks to us. I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit teaches us and speaks to each one of us where we are. Thank you, God, for that today. I just pray that your word has gone out, Lord, and that we can apply these principles to our lives. And I pray, dear Lord, that, that we would do your will in this church, that we would seek your glory and seek your will not ours. 
And Father, right now as we go into this time, I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here today that's heart's heavy, that they would feel freedom to to come forward and pray or pray in their seat, but that they would get relief before they leave today in you because that's what you want. You've done everything you possibly can to forgive us. All we have to do is ask. So, Father, bless this final part of our service. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, for the church at Philippi. Thank you for Paul, the apostle that wrote these words. May we be blessed as we apply them to our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.